Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode from the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today's title is Crisis Communication Mistakes Your Organization is Making. The DRJ Fall 2022 conference is right around the corner, and this year, the theme is the evolution of resilience. It's not too late to register, so please join and visit Phoenix, Arizona, September 11th through September the 14th to discuss the most relevant topics in business resilience and network with the top leaders in our industry. You can also watch the conference virtually, and the link with more information is in our show notes. In this episode, we're sharing a brief preview of what to expect at one of DRJ's conferences. At DRJ's Spring 22 conference in Orlando, I spoke on a panel about crisis communications and some of the most pertinent issues we're facing in 2022, including which channels we need to use to reach our audiences, events we've seen handled poorly in terms of crisis communications, and how a company's brand is represented in their crisis communications. My fellow panelists were Ashley Guzman, Prashant Derisi and Peter Steinfeld. In the clip you're about to hear from our session, we discuss mistakes we've seen in terms of crisis communications and what companies can do to better demonstrate more integrity, transparency, and compassion. Could you talk a little bit about any examples that you've seen of companies that have made some mistakes in the area of crisis communication? And if you have any examples of what, or thoughts on what they might do to fix them? Absolutely. Um, well, I'll start with my first example of when I failed. <laughs> um, so a few years ago, I made a decision in my business that ended up costing us our annual revenue. Right. Eyebrows go up. So think about the annual revenue of the companies that you're in. That's how bad my decision was. was terrible. <laughs> I still work there. They didn't fire me. <laughs> I don't have a board. Thank God. <laughs> So, like most people, I made a mistake. I was embarrassed. I felt inadequate. And then I had to communicate my mistake because I have integrity. I didn't have to, but I did. And I had to talk about that mistake to a client, to my vendors and partners, and to my team. And it didn't feel good at all. And the first thing was admit that you were wrong which ultimately communicated something in and of itself. And so with that in mind, I'll share with you a 2020 example of a phone call that I received from a client. So in 2020, we're all at home, great pandemic, isolated. Everybody's now clear on what a first responder is and why they're so important. In May of 2020, George Floyd was murdered. So I really don't watch the news. My husband has to tell me what's going on so I can be prepared for when I talk to a client because it's just so depressing. Um, but I ended up looking at the news and there were over 60 protests and countries sustained for over 120 days. And it went from First Amendment 
rights being voiced as a protest. It went to civil unrest, and then it went to some people might, what, what some people might call as, as riots that happened across the country. And we have a client in retail who experienced the First Amendments to the protests, to the civil unrest, to the riots. And their properties were destroyed, merchandise taken, stolen, and damaged. And so what I saw as some mistakes were brands that were rushing to communicate a message. Going back to the data that was shown on that screen, how much people are impacted by the bottom line when people don't see where you stand on issues that are happening in our society. And this particular brand that I am referencing, their audio didn't match their video. Their core values conflicted with the core message. And it wasn't even the message that, that they put out there. It was the message behind the actions that were never even displayed. And so somebody reached out to me and said, hey, um, I want to write a letter on what happened with George Floyd and address it because my clients are asking me about it, which in their case are tenants. My employees are asking me about it, my board of directors and other stakeholders. And we need to have a response. So they asked me to review the company's statement. And what I'll say is it is very important for us to have relationships and partnerships because when times like this happen, when you have to have real conversations, you need real relationships because it gives you the space and the longevity to, to have a conversation, but for people not to feel like you are attacking them. And so they asked me about this company's statement. So I read the statement and then I went back to their website and I looked at the core values. And their core values say, consider community first, seek the success of others, act fairly with integrity. Those are their three core values. And I went back to the letter that was drafted. And to be honest, it was weak. And the reason why they called me, because they didn't have any African-American vendors in their entire supply chain at all. I was the only vendor who could speak to the situation and give them a level of confidence for what to do next. So they mentioned fluffy, soft language that was just unclear. And they talked about this DNI strategy that didn't exist. They talked about things in this statement. And my questions were, well, how are your employees going to hold you accountable for the words that you write on the screen? Are you prepared for the questions that are going to come back to you? There was no consideration for what happens after this, this documentation is put out there. What questions are we anticipating? Who's responsible? Who's accountable? How are we going to navigate this? There was no conversation, no thought behind that. And so when I was asked to share my recommendations with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and this is an organization that most of you probably shop at, I asked him, what is the point behind this letter? What are you trying to accomplish? And why? And what I learned in that situation was we have to have the tough conversations. In full transparency, I didn't want to go to work that day. I didn't want to talk to them. And I was clear about that. I can't do it. Today's not the day because I'm not okay. I just saw someone get murdered and lynched on national TV and it's business as usual. That's, that's not acceptable. I came into that conversation in full transparency. I was okay to lose the business because holding you accountable for who you say you are was more important to me than to let you slide by and to put out an empty statement. 
And so in this scenario, the CEO didn't write the letter. He didn't have the words, the emotional intelligence, or the care to come up with, with, with what those words meant. And so I told him, if you can't come up with these words on your own, and if you, your heart doesn't ring and you can't feel for the people who shop at your centers for your tenants, then don't put out a statement. And if you're not going to hold somebody in this company accountable for the words that you put out there, then you don't need to write a statement. Just say nothing. It's better than putting something out there and you being inconsistent. So that's a mistake that I see. And specific to the conversation on racial justice and equity, going back to the day again, people are looking for reality with brands. And I think that we have to be in a situation where we get to a place where we're asking the tough questions. I am a vendor partner. It's a financial risk for me to ask you that question because you may not want to do business with me. But for the integrity that I hold in my career and for all the work that I put into what I know and how to leverage that, I owe it to you to tell you the truth. And shame on you for hiring somebody and you don't want to hear the truth. Shame on them for hiring you and putting you in roles if you are not empowered to speak truth. And so I think we have to get out of this place of I'm uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's unrealistic to think that you're not going to be uncomfortable. We owe it to these companies because it's showing up. It's on social media and our world is not happy. And so those are mistakes that I think we've, we've got to get better at addressing and helping companies with. Vanessa, thank you so much for your vulnerability and also sharing your recommendations with the entire audience. I just want to skip to duty of care because I think that's something out there that's being discussed um, and how we do that appropriately. So I wanted to ask Prashant to take that first as our wrap-up question. Any recommendations you have on duty to care and any examples of what you've seen done well or where you think we could improve? Yeah. I mean, again, I think Vanessa said it brilliantly. It starts from the top. When I talk about accountability and culture, do you really care? And that's why I have a subtle problem with the word duty of care. I think it should be duty to care. I really, I really think, I hope the industry changes this. My, my slides, every time I talk about it, I said duty of care. No, duty to care, right? And that, that changes your approach because it creates a bias for action do something about it. But I also think we need to change the conversation from the concept of a disaster recovery, right? The example Vanessa gave is the disaster occurred and now you're trying to recover. If you had the right cultural values to begin with when there was no disaster, you become organizationally resilient. Resilience is your ability to withstand that stress and recover gracefully. You don't have to break. Right? Bad things will happen and it will stress your organization. Can you gracefully recover? And that's, I think, to me, a subtle difference between duty of care and duty to care. Duty to care is proactive. I care for you every day. It is my duty to care. Duty of care is, oh, when something bad happens, what are the five things I'm supposed to do to be compliant? So OSHA doesn't come after me. Privacy regulations are not violated. Labor laws are respected. That is called duty of care. Duty to care? 
is a way of living. So that's why I, I do have a subtle problem with that industry term called duty of care, but organizational resilience is duty to care. You care about your people, care about your assets, your infrastructure, your brand, and all the elements that Peter Vinis are talking about lead to this concept of are you organizationally resilient? Which means can you challenge your culture? Can you challenge your people? Can you challenge your processes? Can you challenge your technology? And will it gracefully recover from any challenge that comes its way? That's resilience. That to me is duty to care. Peter, anything else from you in this area? Any thoughts that you might want to share? Yeah, as you were, you were talking, I was thinking about just uh, the history of, of duty of care and duty to care, which I love that phrase. I'm going to start using that. I'm stealing it. Um, uh, 25 years ago, it just it barely existed. It was put some fire alarms in, in the building and maybe have a PA system, and that was it. But things have changed dramatically since then. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Uh, it's uh, just expectations in general. It's these devices that we have with us 24 by 7, the expectation that we know what's going on all the time and someone's communicating with us. And if you don't, I'll go out to social media and try to figure it out. Um, so we're kind of forced into you know, over-communicating with people now, whereas in the past we didn't. Uh, but what's really interesting now is this, this term that you've all heard, the great resignation. And like what is causing people to leave organizations? Uh, so Alert Media actually recently commissioned a study. We interviewed over 2,000 people across all you know, categories and found out how important is employee safety to you. And the results were pretty staggering. Um, and this is, uh, there's many things that, that contribute to people leaving organizations, but this is definitely one of them, people not feeling safe at work. So I do have a session later. If you can't make it, that's totally fine. We, we published the, the full report. You can get it on our website. But I think it's fantastic evidence that you guys can use as you go back into your organizations to explain to management why duty to care is so important and it's worth investing in. Not spending money on, but actually investing in. It's gonna help with employee retention. As you can see, we do not shy away from the real conversations because these conversations are necessary for change. So if you're ready to be a part of the conversation, I highly encourage you to join DRJ's conference either virtually or in person for the DRJ fall. To learn more and register today, please go to the link in our show notes. See you there. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Aspalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.